welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Welcome to this week's episode and sorry to all of you who noticed that last Monday we were episode free and in the two and a half years or so of releasing these I think I only missed a couple of weeks over Christmas. However, life is rather manic at the moment and we are hurtling towards reopening day and refurbishing restaurants and recruitment and tech and general carnage dominating my life. I think we're going to be dropping to a show every other week rather than every week for a little while. Uh, Let me know your thoughts on that. If you have strong views either way, I'm always interested to hear from you. Uh, Contact form is at humansofhospitality.co.uk where you can also sign up for what will now be the bi-weekly rather than weekly newsletter. And if you really want to motivate me to get back to weekly ASAP, the donation PayPal and Patreon button is also on the homepage. Thank you, you are lovely. Okay, on to this week's show. After too long in the early days in the southern part of the country, we are once again heading back to Scotland this week. Off to meet Hamish Martin just outside Edinburgh. And Hamish is the kind of human I utterly love. A brave soul, who at the age of 41, with his own business and a career working around the wine and the whiskey trade, decided that his number one love in the world, a part of course from his family, was plants. Not only was he brave enough to sell the business, he was crazy enough to have no idea where his next adventure would take him. He pretty much let the plants decide. He went off on a learning journey, meeting an inspirational medicine man along the way. A dream and a country walk, and soon enough he'd stumbled across a beautiful plot of land not far from the city. Well, dilapidated and covered in weeds may have been a better description for most of us, but for Hamish it was a vision of beauty, and he convinced his wife, four kids and five dogs that they should live in a mobile home on the land and create something beautiful. Now he has a distillery and a cafe and a herb garden and an owl and an actual house and an incredible story to tell, along with products in M&S and Fortnum and Mason and many more places. Now unlike most in hospitality, Hamish sees a herb as medicinal rather than culinary. His description of a dandelion will make you see the plant and the universe through new eyes. His willingness to go on a journey with no plan will inspire you to be brave and take risks and follow your heart, perhaps more than your head. He's also about to convince you to stop feeling guilty about not mowing your lawn enough, and that alone is a great reason to listen. Whatever you're doing, enjoy the image of Hamish and his owl in a treehouse overlooking his garden, yet still nailing being yet another wonderful human of hospitality. And if you want to hear more of these conversations, can you just do me one quick favour as well, please? Subscribe, 
rate and review the show. It's super helpful and it helps keep me motivated and when I really should be at work doing my actual job. But Hamish would certainly not be too supportive of that, so let's get over and meet him. Hamish Martin, co-founder of The Secret Herb Garden and The Secret Garden Distillery. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, I spent a a bit of time researching you yesterday, Hamish, and I fell in love with with you and and your business. I even downloaded a copy of The Secret Garden book to listen to on Audible when I'm driving up to Scotland in the summer this year. So really looking forward to having a chat. But before we get going, uh, where in the world are you, Hamish? Well, thank you for the intro. Um, I'm sitting currently in my uh, study in a, in a house which we built on site, which is the Secret Herb Garden, and we're located just outside um, Edinburgh at the foot of the Pentland Hills uh, in a sort of seven and a half acre herb nursery garden. Wow, it looks absolutely incredible. Another, I, I say this probably at the start of all of these podcasts of late, because I, I used to go and do them all face to face, and then COVID came along, so I've had to learn to record remotely. But uh, yeah, God, I wanted to come and sit in that garden when I was looking at the pictures of it online yesterday. It looks absolutely beautiful. So um, you are literally, I, I think, probably obsessed is the word, by, by herbs and plants, to the extent that I understand you, you've grown 600 of them yourself. So I thought maybe to start with, Hamish, you could just go through all 600 and let me know the key attributes of, uh, no, we won't, we, won't, we won't do that, but that's that's quite impressive. Um, but it is it is hard to know uh, where to start in many ways because you, you've got a shop, a distillery, a herb nursery, veg garden, you run events, weddings, so much more. But I, I guess the backdrop to all of that is your love of plants. So if it's okay, we'll start there. And, and I'm just wondering, when was it you decided that you sort of, you know, you wanted a, a life change and you wanted your future to revolve around plants? Well, when was that? And, and what was the trigger that led you to sort of start studying botanicals? Wow, that's a really good question. Um well, I used to have, go back and say another life, I used to have a, um, a, a wine business in Scotland called Inverarity Vaults, which um, I, I started with my father, uh, who sadly passed away about 20 years ago. But um, I'd already I'd been, though I, was, I loved the wine trade because it was involved with the grapes and the growing, but I'd always had my first plot of land, a small, tiny piece of land when I was 20 uh, to start growing. I've always been addicted with hill running, wild swimming, being outdoors, wild wild camping, all that sort of bivy bagging and all that sort of stuff. Um, But I I spent um, from 91 to, to, gosh, I I get years so confused, uh, 12 years ago. um, And I built Inverarity up and obviously supplying the hotels and restaurants of Scotland and also down in England a lot um, with fine wine. But I, I really sort of lost the soul of it, um, building a business for the sake of building a business. And my real passion was in growing the plants that I'd been spending so much of my free time doing and being outside. And I thought, you know what, if I don't change my life now, um, I never will. And actually, I went through a big change uh, in my life at that point anyway. And it was right, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And it was a very sort of big cutoff thing and um, ended up selling in, in Variety Vaults, now in Variety Mortons up here. And I retrained the Botanic Gardens, the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh for two years and became a herbologist. And I, I traveled quite a bit and worked with a, a medicine man, I suppose you call him a medicine man in, in uh, North, Af- North America and a witch doctor in South Africa to really understand plants. And it's not until you sit at the the feet of somebody truly connected to nature that you learn to shut up and listen. And um, I had no idea where the path was going to take me in, in any respect. All I knew was that I want to spend the rest of my life with herbs, specifically herbs. Um, and it was a leap of faith. 
um, to to do it. But I'm not sure if that even answers your question. But that, no, but it, it does. I love it though. I, I love the fact that uh, yeah, that you, you you just sort of made that decision. It seems like a, a calling. And the more we hear about you know how much you now do with plants, um, I've got to ask a, a, a medicine man in North America. That sounds fascinating. What what, what was involved there? He is, he, is, he is remarkable. He's got an old gentleman now. An old, uh, it's called Wolf. Um, if I try and, his, his full, he's written some books, actually. I've got them, obviously, in my study here. Um, uh, it's all about medicine wheel, uh, working with nature. Um, basically, it, it's quite a hard school of, of, of learning. Um, it's not sort of any books and words. It's more physical actions outside and um, understanding the communication that you can have with the outside world um and of course it's an ancient ancient um system obviously we've lost the connection in our modern world but actually it's still very vibrant in in obviously big communities and in the in the world this sort of um connection with nature and really it was just to learn more about that so he very much taught me a lot more about the connection of 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 nature and how to commune with with nature and my, the witch doctor in South Africa was a ph- phenomenal man. Um, he was all about how to work with plants. He was just specifically herb, you know, medicine with plants. Um, and that's what I'd studied. And, and I grow herbs, but I don't grow herbs. I grow herbs because of a lot of people think, oh, herbs, especially in the hospitality trade, they'll think, oh, herbs are, are nice culinary aromatic plants. And yeah, our wild herbs are actually good for nature. The definition of a herb for me is it's medicinal, full stop. So when you look at plants as medicinal and you look at our own indigenous plants, that means chickweed, ground elder, dandelion, oak, elder. It means it opens the door to every indigenous, you know, our wild plants even more so. So my my whole path has been to aim for more information and work with plants as a medicinal, on a medicinal level. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I, I think I would love that adventure. I've just, um, I remember what started this. I think I did an interview with somebody on on mushrooms and had no idea about the sort of the, the mycelium under the ground and how connected everything is. And, and then that took me down the rabbit hole of trees. And I just read a book called Overstory. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. Um, well, 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 it's a fiction book, but it's it's fundamentally about, uh, I suppose, how how the growth of trees put the sort of the, the the context of our time on Earth and and generations in context. But I just find it amazing how connected nature is. So yeah, I think I would I think I would love to go on on that sort of adventure and journey. Was was there any key things you learned from either of those two guys that really stands sort of sticks in your memory that that maybe sort of reaffirmed that decision for you to have that sort of life change? Anything that really jumped out and you went, "Wow, that's incredible. I'm so glad I'm on this adventure." I think is there's two things to it. One, you have to go quite deep in yourself. Um and secondly is making sure that you aren't following any uh rules any i say rules any any known science rules etc it's all about the key word is imagination to be able to unlock the opportunity so i i find it quite i find science quite restrained yeah we live in a world now where we can't move because of science etc don't get me wrong i I believe in 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 living in a balanced life taking science and taking plants and and somewhere in between is, is 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 there's a balance um that this science that we talk about and how now science knows that trees and communicate um, together, etc., is this this is brand new science? No, it's not. You know, this has been known by indigenous peoples for millenniums. You know, we're just very backward when it comes to 
Uh, we think we're brilliant on science, but actually when it comes to that inner communication that happens, it's not just underneath the soil where trees are helping to feed one another if one's ill and the whole communication with the, the mushrooms and the, you know, the, the spores, it happens on plants as well. You know, there is a communication with plants. And, commun- and I'm not wearing my sandals now. I'm meant to be talking about, but th- there is, there's an inner communication and a vibration that happens on a rock, on a, on a, in the waters, in the trees, in the flowers. It's all around us. It's, it's a thin veil just to be able to then have a look underneath and then have that communication with it. So um, I, I find that bit about science. I'm reading a beautiful book at the moment um, uh, um, written by a German chap about you know how science is now catching up with all the sort of um inner, inner workings of trees and how they they work in a family unit etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's been known for a very 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 long time we're just trying to catch up i think yeah it seems crazy that we we used to have all of that knowledge and we lost it uh, have you looked into you know what why did that happen how did we go from being so knowledgeable and, and in touch with nature to, to now being so far removed and hopefully we're, we're at a turning point and we're gonna you know re-establish that connection i i, I use the word hopefully but yeah do, do you know how we how we lost it it just seems incredible that we did i think you've got to go back to things that the incas and native you know and, uh, uh, you know indigenous peoples um it, they've still got it thank goodness uh well, not the incas obviously but um yeah i think this is only for me personally i think obviously it comes from power and greed and and um you know being invaded by spaniards or, or the brits for starters um then just add i mean don't get me going on to the religion i don't think it's a you know obviously a lot of people feel very strongly about that but you know christianity has a and most religions have a way of controlling and fear basing everything so you have to go very further back you know further back to see where there was a freedom of communication there um, and that communication was working on, on you know, the female and male power, not, not where we see it now. Every religion is, is male-dominated. Um, it, it, it's all about control, really, I think, and, and controlling and making sure people do as they're told and so therefore get them to live in fear. And I think that, you know, it's the same <clears throat> with herbal medicine now and, and pharmaceuticals, you know, there's, it's been well documented how you know, pharmaceutical trades, you know, they don't want you to know that you can go out there and heal yourself with plants because you'd rather go to Boots and buy your, you know, your, your, your chemicals. So it's, um, there's a balance to everything, but it's a very deep question and that you could have probably, you know, that's a real uh, debate. And from my perspective, it comes from a disconnection that has been forced upon us. Yeah, interesting. Well, I could probably spend uh, an hour talking about that uh, alone. In fact, I'm going to make sure that I do come up and sit in that garden and have a gin and tonic with you at some point, Hamish. But uh, I guess uh, we'll come back to, to to the plant side. But but let's go a little bit on the business side. So, you know, brave decision to to make that change. How old were you when you basically decided to, to sell your last business and go on a different route? 41. 41. Okay. And, and, and 53 to next month. Yeah, excellent. Okay. And, and when I say brave decision, I guess because am I right in saying there was no real sort of financial plan there was no sort of idea how this was going to lead into into a business this was just really to to, to go and spend some time doing something you were fascinated by yes no I just have to trust and it's nerve-wracking you know yeah, I bet. it was three kids and um I was renting a flat in Edinburgh I had no idea where I was going to go and how I was going to make it work so there was quite you know it, it's it's a matter of sort of trusting really in, in, in the sort of the path that you take yeah 
Well, I, I, uh, I love it. As somebody, I'm sure there's lots of people who are working in hospitality who certainly in the last 12 months have thought, I need to do something else. You know, it's time time to find a different direction. Uh, and, and that can be hard to do. So well done for being brave enough to, uh, to just take the leap. Um, having said that, I'm very excited about what's, what's to come, hopefully, for hospitality this year. And I think we've come out well, but we'll come back to that. So um, talking about the Secret Herb Garden, so you know, you're just outside of uh, Edinburgh, which must be an amazing location to have such a, a wonderful city uh, right on your doorstep can you just uh, explain to me how yeah how you came about finding that space please yeah, of course. i mean um as i said i was we were renting in edinburgh at that time and we were desperate to get out of town um and i went to look at a cottage at the road end down here but the cottage wasn't right um but as i drove up this single track road i saw this huge derelict glass house and i thought wow um so i got out jumped over the fence, stood at the doorway of this derelict glass house. And I mean, when I say derelict, I mean smashed, concave roof. I'm not going to say weeds that was filled with wild plants. And as I stood there, I had a deja vu of my night's dream in its entirety. And I could see the peaches, the figs, the vines in its entirety. I thought, right, guys, I hear you. I get it. Um, And I left my mobile number with the next door neighbor. And uh, nine months later on, we get the keys to this seven and a half acre derelict plot. It had been used uh, for da- a place called Dam Head um, Organics. So they used to grow uh, organic vegetables way ahead of their time, actually. Unfortunately, it'd gone, it'd gone bust um, after 25 years and it remained derelict for eight. Uh, so um, the land hasn't been I don't use them. It's another thing I can tell you. We don't use any chemicals, not even organic. So the land here has been, you know, wholly untouched for nearly 40 years. So um, I do remember when we got the keys, I had to sort of uh, break the good news and bad news that time to the three kids. And there's good news and bad news, guys. Good news is we found somewhere to live. Uh, Bad news is no house. So uh, (laughs) we we lived in a static caravan uh, for three years with then four kids, five dogs. Um, And it took us two years to convert this derelict piece of land into the secret herb garden. Um, And then eventually, obviously, we built a house on site. Uh, But it it was definitely a challenge. And I I loved it. You know, we made the static caravan very homely. And it was a great project to get, you know, to get my teeth stuck into and and lives because my wife was, you know, her passion is... um, vintage furniture which calls it vintage furniture you know um and 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 the cafe and so it was really a culmination of, of two dreams coming together as one and the secret herb garden was purely a green space you know we wanted to create a space where people can come irrelevant if you're three years of age running around um or you're 92 being pushed in a wheelchair or you're breastfeeding this was a this was a green space that would allow people to come and enjoy. The glass house is beautiful, obviously I'm biased, but it's about half the size of a football pitch and filled with, uh, some of your listeners will know, we've got Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier, the champagne grapes and, and everything else growing in there. So it's a bit like a jungle um, there. But that was the real idea of it, uh, was to create this green space. And we're not out, you know, when you can still catch a bus and come to us. So we're not out of town and we're not in town. We're sort of in between these two worlds. So it's a, it, is a, it is a wonderful space of that. Um, and, I, and I suppose really the, the weddings, we never intended to become a wedding of, um, venue, et cetera. But when people came, uh, we got so many people saying, oh my goodness, you know, we'd love to get married here. Can we get married here? It was like, all oh, right, okay. Um, 
So the wedding business uh, really grew to become one of the top 10 wedding venues in Scotland at that point. Um, and we just got rated by the Sunday Times as one of the top 30 garden centres. God knows why, because we're pretty rustic. Um, but a, a, lovely, a lovely thing to be, to be voted for. Um, uh, yeah. And then, Amazing. Yeah, I guess I guess you're uh, you're very unique. I'm um, sorry to butt in. So, you, you, your was your wife surprised that I don't know at one point you had your own uh, business, and then yeah, a couple of years later you were all living in a in, in a mobile home on a on a bit of land that, as you say, wasn't surrounded by weeds, but to lots of people might have looked like it was. Well, did that come as a bit of a shock? Because that's uh, I lived in a caravan with my kids for six months on my driveway when we were renovating our house, and that was tough. But uh, yeah, she was supportive, presumably. Very supportive. I think glad to get out. I mean, she did get me. Married. I mean, it, in, in living in the static, is, it, it was a challenge, especially with a, we had a new baby as well. So, you know, it was really crowded, but I loved it. Um, and, <laughs> and then when we bought a house, you know, it was like, oh, my God, we've got a mortgage again. Uh, yeah. and, and that was a big wake-up call because you've got to sell a lot of cups of coffee and lots of plants to for, for a grown-up house again. And that's when... Um, I decided we, we we launched with the distillery because um, I've, I'm a great believer if you're working with plants that, you know, there's no limitation uh, to working with plants. Your only limitation is, is, is your imagination. So therefore, limitless imagination, limitless possibilities. And I'd created this gin that turned pink from our rose petals. I had a little three liter still. Um, I said it was in the wine business, but also was in the whiskey business previously in variety my old man it's another story so i I've, I've spent my life surrounded in the booze trade so it was a bit of fun to make this gin this pink gin at home just for us um and my wife said you know that thing you do with the gin and the roses i think you might have to make a business and it was like oh, no i don't want to go back into the into the booze trade um but i'm not in the booze trade i'm in the trade i'm in the booze trade telling people how amazing plants are and um, so I'm coming at an angle about the botanics that's in that's in the gym. And anyway, we didn't have any money, but managed to get three people to invest. And we converted the barn um, into an ATEX rated still room and went live with the business in, I get my years so confused, 2017, October. Um, we called it the Old Curiosity Distillery then. Um, only because the barn that we emptied was so full of uh, Libs's stock and uh, it was like walking into a sort of curiosity shop. But we, we're changing the net into the Secret Garden Distillery now. Um, and we're just really lucky, uh, to be honest with you, Mark, that, you know, we, we've we come to the gin market. And even in, back in 17, I said, oh, come on, there's too many gins. Nobody wants any more gin. Oh. But I didn't have any other tricks up my sleeves. You know, we've been making, I've been growing the, the botanics to make herbal teas. We've made honey. Um, but we really needed something that could, you know, move forward with the business. And, and so we did. And my eldest daughter came on board with me um, right at the very beginning to help me with, as you guessed from the beginning, I'm not great with IT. So she's done all the social media events and gin clubs and, and everything like that. So it's been lovely to work with her and grow the business and, and now we're employing um, 24 people um, within you know, just on the gin business itself at the moment so and you know, obviously we'll probably touch on it you know tough times for everyone um, but yeah so it's been a real roller coaster and the reason why I'm still here is because of the oh, 
you shouldn't get me going with questions, Mark. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, is because of these roses, it's not any one rose that we grow. It's a rose called apothecary rose. So it's the oldest rose known to man. It was, uh, it's been, there was a body dug up and carbon dated 5,000 years um, ago, one girl holding a bunch of apothecary roses. This apothecary rose has been central to so many religions and so many peoples. Um uh, that it it was a rose that when I when I when we planted the garden there's another whole story why I did and I'm not going to bore you with that but I planted a lot of them to the point that we have the largest uh, plantings of apothecary rose in the UK and I grew it just for to make a lovely beautiful um, herbal tea um, but if I hadn't done that rose and hadn't created the gin I can guarantee you uh, we wouldn't still be able to be here there's no way. So the roses really saved the day, to be honest with you. Yeah. And and one of your uh, lovely sort of descriptions that I read was that you, you feel, you know, almost a passenger in this journey and that with, with not having a business plan, it's almost like, you know, the, the ideas are happening for you. And I suppose going a little bit back to what some people might say is our sort of, you know, slight, slightly hippie start to this conversation, I suppose. Does it, does it very much feel like... Yeah, that, that, that this is literally just just happening, and the ideas and the concepts. You know, you're being guided, I suppose, through this through this journey. I completely feel like a passenger. Completely, a passenger that uh, for me, I only have one one goal, one objective, and that is to communicate to people. You know, whether you're a child and I do a fairy magic herbal walk for you here, or you're a very keen gardener, or you're a mixologist. I only have one drive, and that's just, it's really to highlight how beautiful nature is, how amazing she is, and how we can work with her without having to fill the earth with a whole load of chemicals. And uh, so I know I'm digressing. You know, no, 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 no. This is why I fell in love with you when I was, when I was reading a bit. But, Sorry, go on. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, I, I get carried away with, with that whole piece, but I definitely feel like I'm a passenger in this. And, and both Libs and I are really badly dyslexic, which, you know, I... I which I think is a gift. So um, we're not good on fine for ideas, etc. But also when you start working with, and again, I'm honestly not wearing sandals, but when you start working with plants and people ask you, know, how did you come up with lavender and echinacea and, you know, um, pink elderflower and jasmine and these things for, for the gins and things. I didn't. That, that's the fact. Um, gave it no thought process whatsoever. They just make it so abundantly obvious that really, you couldn't choose anything else. And there's none of this sort of trials and, you know, testing, et cetera. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, that would be wonderful. And we grow it and, and therefore it's, it's, it will work really well. So there's, I am having to put a business plan together now, though, uh, which has been a right bugger. But uh, <laughs> You need to delegate that by the sounds yeah. of it, Hamish. You need to have someone who does that bit. <laughs> well, yeah, so we are trying to, because I'm, I'm putting in a plan to, you know, build um you know upgrade the distillery uh, on the same footprint but make it much more um sustainable eco-friendly uh we're putting a borehole for water except you know so i am having to put a, a plan together which seems so ironic really for me having to put like they want a three-year plan and things like <laughs> who the hell knows what's happening in three years but um 
yeah, so I, I'm trying to get a little bit more focus because I'd like to upgrade the, the distillery and, and the packaging and everything, but that's another thing. Yeah, well, you, and, and it, it sort of sounds slightly, oh, I would say, you know, it's, it's a great sales pitch, but you're almost un- underselling yourself because, you know, your your gin is in, I think I'm right in saying it's in Harrods, Harvey Nichols, Selfridges, you know, M&S, John Lewis. That's that's a pretty impressive thing to, to sort of pull off when you just let the plants do the talking and a little uh, on a little plot outside Edinburgh. Does that come from your background in, in the booze business that you alluded to or how did you go about getting the recognition to get stocked in those kind of venues um when i was in, no because when i was in the wine business booth business here it's scotland based you know i was we were wine wine merchants and we did own label whiskey we did do own label whiskey for um you know the wine society and some people down south and, and the ritz and things but um i never sold to harrods or or etc um before so um that was yeah. That was just me saying, look, here's a product that has no sugars, no colorings, no flavorings. Um, it's just the plants, um, and, and one or two of them can turn pink. I mean, we I, we've got about twenty different flower petals that all have this anthocyanin, which change change color, which isn't what I want to be known for. It's really the botanics that um, you want to sing about. But yeah, it's been. I've been very lucky. I think is is the is the word. We we got into M and S and did a known label for them, a white label for them, um, purely because uh, one of the buyers came to a wedding here, and uh, it was her husband that said, "Oh, my wife's one of the buyers, and she's going back to work," and and that was it. Um, you know, you can't, you, you couldn't program. You know, you couldn't, uh, you know, write that out in a book. You know, to get that sort of break right at the very beginning. In fact, we make a non-alcoholic, so. There's a non-alcoholic G&T premix and everything, which we make for M&S as well. And, um, I, I, you know, it, it's all plant distillates. So it's, it's something I've been doing for, you know, or something that's been done for years. We like to make this non-alcoholic thing a new, a new, yeah, new craze. Yeah. It's absolutely not. It's water distillates that have been done for millennia again. Um, but we make one and our non-alcoholic has no chemicals, no preservatives in it. What A bit of a risk, if I'm going to be honest with you, but it goes to the same ethos here. So we'll probably talk about the, the food and, and things later, but I am adamant about having no chemicals, uh, et cetera, in it. So we made this not the non-alcoholic um, spirit, you know, with, 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 you know, juniper distilled and uh, coriander, but we distill them all separately. Anyway, that's another thing. Um, and so there's not alcoholic and, and thinking, well, my God, you know, if we could get three months shelf life, that would be great, but there's no commerciality to that. But anyway, short of it is we've just got an 18 month shelf life, which nobody can understand how we've managed to, I actually can't understand it, but the plants seem to be okay with it. So, you know, we've managed to get a, a, a long shelf life with no potassium sorbates and other chemicals that's in every other non-alcoholic product amazing and 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 and, uh, you you know you're absolutely in the sweet spot of why i love having these conversations is that you know this this sort of idea of these humans of hospitality that everybody's got their thing and everybody's got their their niche and if you tried to you know with so many of the people i speak to i guess if you tried to sort of you know justify it via the the bean counters approach and the business plan and you know the the numbers people it would be so difficult but i think when you when you focus down on that detail and the reason that you know clearly your your product is in so many of these incredible places is because yeah you just you know you just get right back 
back into the core ingredients, don't you? Into those botanicals, and you and you start there, and you you know you, you don't start with the end in mind. I suppose you just go, I want to grow incredible botanicals, and and the rest comes about, which is uh, I I think is brilliant. Um, just to go back a little bit though to the to the story of the the secret herb garden. When you first opened that, you what were you doing? Were you selling? You know, were, were people coming in and buying herbs? Was that the idea of it? Because I know that the distillery is has sort of you know in many ways rescued you, and I'm sure even more so in the pandemic, which we'll come back to. But that original idea was it literally people can rock up was this a sort of you know pay to come in and have a look around the garden or buy a herb or was it was the was the cafe there straight away or did that evolve later cafe cafe and herb nursery open together so the garden's always been free for everybody to come in this is what's the heartbreak and the fact that i just you know not to let people it's like a ghost town that our, our garden but anyway um you know the idea was just to offer green space come buy herbs we're not a we're not a garden center that will that will do you i don't want any artificial plants any hybrids or any it's our wild indigenous and the herbs that that we do and that's it um so there's you know i don't know we've got 22 different times 55 different mints uh, i don't know nine different lavenders etc cetera, etc cetera. so you can go and just Potter around the, the the plants that are for sale. There was all vintage garden tools. Uh, actually, when we opened, people said, oh, you're just like Petersham Nursery. And we never knew what Petersham Nursery was, but we did make a, a beeline for it. Um, we are, but we're, you know, we're, we're I mean, I, it was very, I think that it's beautiful what they have. And I suppose aspirationally, yes, but we're, we're also a garden, a very, you know, a very big garden that, that has that we've got. 30 hives on site and a bee observatory, all these sort of things for people to come. There's no swings and no roundabouts, no children's play areas. This is a place where children need to use their imagination. There's enough places like that for soft play and anything. This is green open space. Crack on, get on with it, go out, explore. And, um, you know, we've got an old beaten up taxi that's, that's there. If kids want to go and use imagination. Um, but it's a space to really just connect with. I think. Yeah. Okay. So, when people who are coming in and buying those those herbs, is this are this generally people who want you know a little, a little herb garden that they can just use it in their food, or is there, are they getting inspired that, like you say, so many gardens I suppose are full of hybrids and, and artificial plants and stuff. You you can literally you know plant up a whole garden just using, I suppose you know older native heritage kind of plants. Can you? Yeah. I mean, basically, it's here people, I mean, the amount of parsley's and the normal herb, rosemary's and thyme's and oregano's and basil. Yeah, we sell stacks of those. Um, but my real angle is we have a whole section. Actually, probably I've just put the plant list on the website and the Secret Herb Garden and the um, distillery website. Um, you know, we're pretty chuffed. You know, here we are in February, nearly into March, and we've got a really good list of plants. We've worked hard at this. Um, but then you've got all the wild plants, you know, from Teasel, St. John's Wort. I can't even tell you, you know, I tried selling dandelions. People really didn't take for that. But um, I mean, anyway, yes, dandelions is a completely different story. I mean, it's probably my favorite plant of all of them, but there we go. Which most people would, would dig up and call a weed, presumably. No, even worse than that. They wouldn't even dig it up. They'll poison it. They'll poison, oh. they'll poison the earth that's around it. I saw an advert once that nearly brought me to tears. It's for a roundup, and it was off this garden fence, and one guy, you know, quite a sort of overly weight chap, sweating away, digging out, you know, dandelions, and another chap over the fence in the pristine suit with a with a backpack of um, spray on his back, spraying at one dandelion. I just thought, 
what messaging are we giving? What what are, what are, what, are, what are we telling people? Um, so yes, it's, 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 it's a bit depressing. So I'm sat here um, in, in my house looking out at my garden, which is sort of full of weeds, but uh, not weeds. Sorry, uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to call them? Native plants. Uh, my my lawn, um, but not not by design, just because. Well, it, you know, clearly by nature design rather than my design. What what's the answer to people who want a uh, a nice lawn? Is that an oxymoron? Should basically should a lawn be full of all these different sort of wild plants, and should we just chill out and uh, yeah? I think you have to. If you want a lawn, have a bit that's for a lawn. Don't make the whole thing a lawn. It's just not it's not natural. Yes, we all like to have a nice piece of grass to to lie on. I actually like letting moss come in because it's even it's even softer. Um, but don't get over. I mean, having daisies in a lawn is just so beautiful. I mean, they're called bruisewort. Right, hang on. I must stop talking about individual plants. The answer to that is relax. You know, um, I remember I did some BBC Gardener's Question Times and there was, you know, people were phoning. So I've got Yarrow growing in my lawn. Uh, what should I do? And some, one of the one of the guys said, who, who likes using chemicals, spray it with X, Y and Z. Another one who was organic said, you know, put boiling water on it. And I said, for goodness sakes, you know, you've got one of the most beautiful native plants growing in your lawn you need to rejoice and i could i could tell you so much what you can in fact actually with yarrow i've actually managed to sneak yarrow she probably shouldn't say this in the podcast into the mns um non-alcoholic it's in my non-alcoholic i use it in our wild gin it's a beautiful plant it won't be on any data uh, you know botanical database that you'll be allowed to use but it's been used for again millennia as, as a as a as a plant and the flowers are so aromatic so if you've got if you've got dandelions growing in your lawn, I, I cultivate dandelions as as part of a crop because it's one of the earliest um, pollens for our bees. So I actually <laughs> I actually wait till they go to seed head and then get the tractor out on the, on a high cut. So I'm forcing all the seed heads back down onto the soil to try and help have as many dandelions as possible. Um, right. so, well, uh, and have a wild area in your garden. Please have a wild area in your garden. It's another reason to love you, the fact that I don't have to go out and weed my lawn anymore. No, uh, Hamish, really. to be honest, I'm just, I did actually start last year by leaving leaving a strip, but I think uh, I've definitely lost uh, lost the battle, if it is a battle. But uh, not anymore. Now I'm going to embrace them and love them and tell my wife that uh, yeah. they're all part of nature's beauty. Um, I know you've got a real uh, interest in this sort of the, the healing powers of uh of plants and, and, and herbs are there any particular uh stories or any particular herbs that you know uh, that you've now incorporated within your diet because you just think that what they do is particularly incredible um lots i mean i i mean for example lemon verbena is a lovely plant it's it's not native to to us but i grow a little we make a lemon verbena gin it's not meant to be as a plug but i've always grown it as it's a beautiful tea so i made you know as an example i made a lemon verbena tea for obviously my wife and my middle daughter last night with our honey before bed and it's just such a relaxant for them um well yesterday libs would take her elecampane and echinacea root tincture which i make for her which is obviously to, to sort of help combat um uh, you know she's had pneumonia and things um and then really uh, it's all about um you don't have to internalize plants, but it does help to internalize them. But I, you know, to another level, sweet peas. Now, technically, these are not herbs, but I can guarantee you the amount of times that I have picked some sweet peas, uh, especially to anybody that visits us, and I see them in a wheelchair and they're and they're elderly, 
and I will just give them a little handful of sweet peas. Joking apart, they nearly always there's tears welling in their eyes because that smell will bring back memories to them. And the olfactory system is part of that healing process. And so who's to say sweet peas aren't a herb just because they're not listed as a herb? I can guarantee you they're a herb because they can uplift people by their smell, that can change their moods. Now that's medicine. So I can't pick any one plant. I mean, if, I'm, if I pick one plant as, as a favorite, I pick the dandelion as my favorite herb. Though we may grow 600 different herbs. And, and, I, and I tell this to children, so I do these fairy herbal walks and things. And I'll pick a, a dandelion flower and I'll, and I'll hold it up to the sky and I'll say, right, guys, what does this look like? It's round and then, you know, there's a blue sky behind you. It's round, it's yellow, it's a blue sky. What's it look like? The sun. You'd be amazed how slow adults are at doing this. Um, and then I'll go and pick the seed head. And you know the seed head of a dandelion is you, you probably blew um, clocks with it when you were little. And it's that round circular seed head, so beautiful. Um, I said, I'll pick one of those and I'll like, imagine a nighttime sky. What does it look like now? It's, it's silvery, it's round, and it's in a night sky, the moon. And then I said, right, keep that nighttime sky and I'll blow the seed heads. And what do they look like? The stars. So here's one wildflower that is the sun, the moon, the stars, all wrapped up uh, in to give you the universe. To, I mean, I can write a book about one of all the good things that uh, dandelions can do, you know, very quickly. You know, you turn it upside down. If you've got kids, it, it's called the dent of, it's called the dent of the lion's teeth because it looks like lion's teeth. Uh, it's a diuretic. It's it's a um, brilliant digestive system it's it's also a bitter the leaves so we do completely wild salads here so yes when it comes to one one plant very difficult i love them all but i probably use dandelion to as my lead plant and, and tell kids when you see it growing in the pavement you know go go shake your mum and dad's arm and say look the universe is smiling at me i'm loved and that plant is so tenacious so strong and such a giver it's it's amazing you can make henna tattoos from the sa- anyway i'm going on sorry Mark. Uh, well, no, it's. I love it. What a great description that was. Do you think you will write a book at some point? I'd love to. Yeah, I, I really would love to. Um, you won't believe me, but I'm building a treehouse at the moment as my new office. Uh, I believe in anything uh, you say, to be honest. Yeah. I had to get planning permission because it's so high up. Um, and and underneath it is going to be the Avery for, for my aisle because at the moment we both share the same office. Um, but I would like to think that once I get in there and create some space, yeah, I'd love to write a book. I, I'd love to... But I don't know where, you know, it, it, it will happen at some point, definitely. What spot to do it? Sat in a treehouse overlooking that. That'd be amazing. So you mentioned the owl then. So where, where did the owl come from, uh, Hamish? Is this oh, rue? It's just called rue, yeah, which is after a, a beautiful plant again. Uh, actually, all the dogs and all the kids, apart from the two boys, are, are named after plants. Um, well, I, I get up very early from March the 21st to end of October normally. Um, I go... Uh, I go up the Pentlands and there's a, a pool, a wild pool, which I go swimming and I'm up there about sort of five every morning. Um, and that's my space in the morning. And one morning I found a, a, a little tawny owl. And I know you're not to touch them because uh, they can just fall out of the nest and climb back. But this one, its eyes was, its eye was completely puffed out. Um, anyway, so we brought it home and it had um, ruptured its eye um took it to the vets got in touch with falconry society etc etc and you know we decided to see if we could get her to you know get better 
and she was putting weight on and we just I just fell in love we all fell in love with her um and then unfortunately we the her other eye ruptured which we think might have been chemicals actually with the vet things um even though she was still putting weight on um none of the vets were willing to and I can understand that willing to keep her going because she was a wild bird and the no chance of trying to rewild her now that she was completely blind um so she had to be put down and um yeah, really upset by that. Um, and the falconry chaps that we, you know, he, one of them was actually in charge of the Scottish Falconry Society and put a, a WhatsApp note out or whatever one does. And somebody literally two weeks later said, I, I just had a, I've just had a hatching of um, spotted eagle owls. Would your, would your friend, you know, be interested in, in having a, an eagle owl? And um, it was like, yes, please. Um, I always intended to have a bird of prey. It's funny as well, actually, because, uh, you know, I always, if I ever, if I ever go to a game fair, I always completely get drawn to them. And I've had, I don't know, maybe three days of falconry um, things paid for, you know, for birthday presents and everything else. And I never went. I never went once because, you, ne- you know, you never find the time before you never found the time. And then this lockdown, obviously, um, there's no excuse. Uh, you know, I'm here now. Um, and I'm so glad I did it then and not waited until a time in my life was quieter because, you know, we, we read that they, you know, they can live for 20 years. And actually, some of them in captivity can live up to 40 years. So if I hadn't done it then, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't think, you know, we probably wouldn't have had the chance to do it. So it's been the most and I'm not we're not I'm not a normal falcon. And I've got, you know, I know a couple of people that very well that that keep well, one actually has about sort of 12 Birds prey. I'm. We're. I am completely. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's anybody else that does what we do. You know, she's in my office now. She has full reign of the house. She has an outdoor aviary, um, but she's um, comes everywhere with me. So I suppose you know, the only place we, when we were able to go out is we've got great friends that own um, Monocle Moor, <clears throat> Tom and Lisa. So as a hotel. So I know that we know them so well. So they're okay for us to turn up with <clears throat> five kids and four dogs and an owl. Um, but I don't think there'll be many other um, hotels that would be willing to to put up with us coming. But she, I call her my teacher, to be honest with you, Mark. She really makes me, you know, she's, she's helped me to be grounded. Um, yeah, yeah. We're on camera now. The last one I said was I was just on a Zoom meeting and she just decided to fly onto my shoulder. So it does make some of these Zoom meetings very interesting. And people suddenly say, what was that in the background? I don't worry about it. So that's my owl. Yeah, brilliant. It's very Harry Potter-esque, I think. But I'm, I'm actually envious of that owl. I think I'd like to come and, uh, yeah, just follow you around for uh, for a few years, Hamish. I think it would be it would be fascinating. Um, I've got to come back to the business side a little bit, remembering that um, this is, is fundamentally about uh, hospitality and the links, I guess. So I just want to touch on the cafe a little bit, because am I right in saying that you, you ran the cafe yourselves for, for most of the time, but recently you've partnered up with, with Fior Restaurant? Is that correct? And can you just explain yeah, the process for that? Uh, well, putting so much energy into the distillery and lives and wife, you know, we've got two, you know, the, the younger two children and running the cafe, running the distillery, running the garden is a lot. Um, and I, we always feel that there was a lot more we could do with the cafe, but we just weren't able to deliver that. And Scott, I've known Scott for years since he set up, um, when he, when he set up, um, God, my brain so bad. 
um, his first restaurant, which will come to me. Um, I've loved his food. We used to supply a lot of the restaurants with um, herbs and, you know, odds, odd vegetables, but we would, in, you know, in Edinburgh alone, but I would supply maybe about 20 restaurants. Um, and obviously Scott was one of them. And I love his food. I love his cooking. It's, it's, it's a lot of forage stuff, obviously. Uh, no chem- and he just loves the no chemicals whatsoever. And we approach them to take on the cafe and the weddings and we do these full moon dinners, um, et cetera. And so, yeah, they took it on in February. Talk about the worst timing ever. Um, but Wow. Yeah, literally just, what, a few weeks before lockdown? Oh, absolutely, Mark. I mean, but we, you know, really want to support them. So we, we have a whole veg garden. Um, um, and I said, look, lockdown, we're going to get, I'll get the garden all up and running for you just so whenever it opens, you can get, you know, bring the veg, you know, have your own gardener in there or he can go over to you. But we did. So we've got the most beautiful veg garden um, for him, which again, you know, which was good that I did it because I just make sure the guy is brilliant. You know, he understands the ethos, no chemicals, nothing. I'll use a plant to heal a plant. So you're growing real veg with um, and salads and they are growing salads and things that gets for the the cafe. Uh, let's just go for normal times when we did have the cafe, when he did have the cafe open and he had his restaurants open, it was beautiful, you know. Um, and his chefs are absolutely, um, well, they love being in the garden. I love watching these guys in whites for a cafe. We never had that, you know, you're in jeans and T-shirt. But, you know, going out and absolutely harvesting what they want to harvest at that time, that's been really lovely. And and, and and it just builds on the whole ethos of what the garden's about. It is there's no chemicals. It is, um, you know, work hand in hand with nature and put it onto your plate or drink it as a tea or drink it as a gin or use it as a soap. You know, uh, let's use the botanics without having to put anything in them and, and, and see how wonderful they are in, the, in their own basis. So we don't know when. Well, we just got our roadmap yesterday. God only knows. Pretty vague, wasn't it? In Scotland from, from... terrible. Uh, Mark, I was really hoping that we could open the garden shop and, and the plants, um, you know, for Mother's Day, because it's I've worked so hard to make sure we've got so much stock of plants. Uh, but I just don't know now. Um, and, you know, you were talking about the bean counters. If you were a bean counter and you look at our business model for the distillery as well, you'd be going, you're insane. Yeah, well, yeah, lots of people like We've got five full-time gardeners, two full-time harvesters. And, uh, you know, we do all our own bottling, labeling, absolutely everything um, ourselves. Whereas, you know, I've seen business models that they've got their distillery and, and you know, brilliant brands that have their distillery in, in the warehouse. And, and that's it. You know, they ship the gin to bottlers. They get it bottled. You know, they ship it out full strength. And it's, it's out and done. Um, so boring. You know, I'm a bit envious of that because people look at <laughs> At the first points of our gym and go, oh my God, you're so expensive. And I just cannot be bothered to try and explain, look, this is a, I know I have to. But I tell you actually the biggest difference, and you mentioned coming to the garden. We get people to come to the garden, Mark, it's it's a job done. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, we we did so much with Montpellier Group and, you know, we've had the guys up from Inception Group to some of the best, Balmoral Hotel, et cetera, et cetera. They come here, or the buyers from Harvey Nicks or whatever, they come here and they see it. And then it's like, oh, right, I get it. You know, you're hand harvesting these botanics. You're putting them in the drying room. Then, you know, you come into our gin lounge so we can do these gin garden tours. 
There's nowhere that can do this. And it's not that we're growing the potatoes to make the spirit. I always call that, you know, um, we use a neutral grain spirit, which we have to buy in. But I always say that's like a painter being given a blank canvas. You you don't normally ask about the canvas. It's a white canvas and the color and the texture comes from all of the botanics that you add into that. And your white canvas has to be as clean and as stable as possible. And and so for therefore, you know, we don't make our own grain, but we do put the color and the texture on it by all our own botanics. You know, we've got 4,000 junipers growing here. You know, you've got, it's hard to explain. And it... Yes, I don't think we're brilliant at explaining what we're really. I, I, I think you. I, I think you. I think if people want to make the effort, and this is why this will be great. I think because you know, in in less than sixty minutes, people can can get an essence, I suppose, of just that love and that attention. But no, I, I very much, you know, it was it was easy for me to find out yesterday and and get a real gist for just yeah how much how much love and care. Uh, goes into what you do which is why for me you you epitomize the sort of yeah not even the typical obsessive but you know there are lots of views whether it be the best chocolatier in the country or, or somebody else sort of you know yeah you know just just trying to be the, the very best in whatever their niche is i just find it you know incredible the level of uh, of detail that that not you know it's not it's not that most people do it at all you know you you are the exception to the norm but in in the bit of hospitality and in the, in the you know the side of it that i love um then i think it's brilliant i was at um you know raymond blanc's uh four seasons you know fairly recently looking at their garden and, and, what, and what they grow for the restaurant and you just think wow you know it's uh it's great life would be boring if it was run by the bean counters and much as my finance director would would yell at me you know these are the conversations i play to him and go look some stuff we did we've just got to do because it's fun and because it's interesting and because we're learning and surely learning and growth is the key reason for being on planet earth and not more beans so uh I'm with you, Hamish. Um, it sounds really symbiotic, that relationship then with with, with the cafe and, and how you work in the same way, I suppose, that plants complement each other. It sounds like you found the sort of perfect partner to complement what you do. This is still very much an, a, an accessible cafe, is it? You can still rock up and have a, a cup of tea and a slice of cake. It's, it's, not, it's not a fine dining restaurant. Completely. Um, so it is, it is exactly that. But, you know, just delivered to, a, you know, the lunch menu is, is still so relaxed. It's like a cafe, but you can still have your scone and, and coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, at 10 o'clock or come and, and sit down. Obviously, the long term goal is, um, you know, putting in, you know, bring it moving more, you know, definitely moving forward is to up that into a, a restaurant style of things, you know, moving forward in the future. Um, in hand in hand with the distillery and make you know just make that whole relationship much more available I suppose. Mm. you know yeah. at the moment there's no heating so you go into the glass house now you know you do need to wrap up and in the summer oh my goodness luckily we've got some outdoor you know lots of outdoor space to sit but you know it with the stuff we need to do to make an all-year-round um, venue in that respect yeah, you, you won't be bored. Um, you've given so much sort of trust to this this sort of philosophy, I suppose, of, of the journey and the adventure and, and being a passenger to, to what you do. What advice do you give other entrepreneurs or, or people who maybe come to you and have a chat or are looking at starting a business? You know, with, with that quite a different philosophy, is there, any, is there any nuggets of wisdom that you can give people who are thinking of, um, you know, starting an entrepreneurial journey? I think the first thing is ignore anything I've said. Uh, <laughs> it would be, would be my, my my number one my number one thing. Uh, uh, definitely, I think there's a couple of things. One is not to be scared of space. You know, we we live in a world that is um, uh, unnatural, Western world, in my opinion. Um, whereas 
you don't always have to know where you're going to go. And it is petrifying uh, letting go of that and trusting. So creating space for the next, the next thing or the next journey is good, in my opinion. Always knowing where you're going to go and how you're going to deliver it doesn't allow you any space or freedom to let sometimes the magic come into your lives. So creating space is one. And then the other is, is um, imagination, is um, you know, opening your, mind, um, your mind's eye to possibilities that probably I suppose other people don't, don't see. And if it's done with a passion and a right direction, you're not going to go wrong. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's wise words. Um, talking a little bit about the, the future, then, because we've got to draw to a close shortly because we're running out of time. You mentioned earlier that you, you, your dad uh, had a whiskey business, and I know you were involved in that for for a number of years. Can you see yourself producing your own whiskey in the future? Oh, funny enough, yeah, I so wanted to. Uh, when I've done a lot of work when we're looking at building the distillery, but our footprint for our distillery, we could make a Scotch a single malt distillery on site. Uh, the problem is it's so small um, that, you know, you're paying the same price to, you know, produce 100,000 litres of, of alcohol, whiskey, of malt, as you would, you know, 700,000. So our price, our price points and, and everything was just, go, we were just going to be ridiculously, you know, we'd just be out, out of the question for the investment that's needed. It's the same investment to produce, you know, that small amount as it would be, you know, to produce tenfold that. So... Um, and then I also realized that actually, well, hang on, to do that, I'd need to grow my own grain and dry hit and everything else to make sure it was on the same storyline uh, of what we're doing here. And when you start looking at it in that respect, it's like, no, you know, don't lose the vision. The vision is about the botanics and the plants that make it. I'd love to work with a distiller and, and helping them grow, you know, and a lot of them do grow their own barley, but again, it's done on that huge... Oh, I always say to, to kids, you know, who wants a friend that takes from you all the time? That's not friendship. And that is what we do with modern agriculture. We take, take, take. And what we do put back is artificial poison. And so, you know, there are farmers out there who are working hard. There is a change happening slow, but there is a change happening of understanding that to run a farm is a balance. You need to have nature involved. You stop ruining the soil, you know, with depleting its goodness all of these sort of things. So I, I for me, was the, the idea of doing the whiskey would have to be, well, if I'm doing the whiskey, I'm going to need to grow the grain. And to grow the grain means you'd have to work with somebody who shares those same belief systems. Now, you know, I'm just adding layer of layer of, of difficulty at this point. So, um, and money, and which I don't have. Um, so therefore it was right, get back. What are we about? Well, I'm passionate about the botanics and the herbs. Stick to that and really deliver the message about showing on a small scale how how possible how it is possible to employ so many people on such a small piece of land and using no chemicals um i would love to get my teeth into a project that would look at somebody who owns um you know a bigger a bigger you know a farm that's growing barley and looking at ways of actually incorporating uh, more wildlife opportunities and 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 a, and a way for people to walk around you know, why not have a path that goes through the fields and, you know, it, it, hedging back, get, 
monoculture thing really anyway yes i'm diverse i've gone on on monoculture uh, journeys we had guy sing watson from riverford organic on on the podcast a couple of times and uh, and the soil association helen browning from the soil association has been on. so we've we've been down those rabbit holes a couple of times <laughs> yes, it's difficult not to get to pull the you go off on an adventure um i'm gonna to have to draw to a close because i'm also uh in in a home with um with homeschooling and there's somebody else sort of waiting to do some work and i've made them go quiet but i feel like i could chat for another hour hamish so maybe we can we can do this in fact i am genuinely coming up to scotland uh in the summer for a couple of weeks and uh so yeah hopefully i'll, I'll get the opportunity to swing by in august and hopefully you'll be up and running and bustling um can people buy a lot of the stuff you've talked about even even your plant list can people have this sort of stuff delivered do you deliver a lot of the stuff you do nationally or is it a pickup only service how does that work all the, the gins the teas the honeys all of those sort of things uh that, that there's and we do these beautiful gin clubs which is uh, anyway won't you know do that um yeah they they're they're, they're delivered nationally the, the plants i would love to i haven't actually looked into it we, we should look into when one way how we're going to actually post them out but we do a click and collect service for the plants um and and really it's you need to come here to to buy to buy those um, okay. It'd be a nice thing to be able to offer, but not at the moment. Yeah, yeah I've started getting a lot, a lot of stuff delivered by uh, by post plant. So there are some clever packaging um, solutions around. So where should people go, Hamish, if they want to follow your adventures? Uh, what's the website address, and is there a particular social media channel that they should go to? <laughs> I'm so bad at that. <laughs> I can find it if you don't know. Yeah, well, there's the we're actually as the old Curiosity Distillery is our website, and that's all going to change to Secret Garden. Uh, distillery but, but if you go to the old curiosity distillery there there's a blog um <coughs> there's instagram and and um <laughs> yes twitter and things um all on that but i suppose that's the best one and then the secret herb garden is more about the cafe that scott and laura have but it has got the plants there as well um and the way so you could, you could look at both but obviously for the gyms and things it's 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 on our website okay perfect well i will pop links up uh on the show notes that go with this episode as well that, that point everybody in the right direction but uh look thank you so much for sharing your uh yeah your, your great story and your adventures so far and uh and i'm sure we'll get to touch base again but you know more than anything thanks for being a, a good egg and a good human you know in in the hospitality world and doing stuff for what i would like to think are the, are the right reasons like we say not just the numbers but I re- really enjoyed chatting to you hamish thanks for sparing my time yeah, pleasure mark thanks so much sorry for boring you <laughs> oh i've loved it i've loved it thank you so are you as in love with hamish as i am do you want to sell up and go to work in a treehouse with an owl and spend your days doing something you love whatever the case i hope you've learned something and feel a smidgen more inspired now than you did an hour ago i will pop links up as always to hamish's business and website and social media via the show notes at humansofhospitality.co uk or to save yourself going to look there each week sign up for the newsletter on the website and they will appear in your inbox and actually as i said at the beginning it looks pretty likely it's going to be another two weeks until the next show since i need to knuckle down and get my restaurants and hotel reopened but subscribe on your podcast player of choice and you won't miss the next release thanks for listening you're awesome and i appreciate it cheers <laughs>